0: Chapter 26. By examining and comparing the good or evil in things, we must decide our course. Sometimes we will regard pleasure as an evil, and pain as a good. Epicurus, Letter to Herodotus, 341-270 to BC. Templar Preceptory, Ypres, Duchy of Flanders, Easter Sunday, April 4, AD 1260. Dawn gradually lightened the green glass windows of the round Templar Chapel, its light not yet challenging the golden glow from the dozen beeswax tapers lighted in honor of the occasion. In company with the brothers of the order, Michael stood easily on his good leg, feeling at once happy, sad, and gratified as he watched Omri kneeling before the altar. Yesterday, Amory had been ritually bathed to purify his body and soul. Clad in white robes, he had spent all night in vigil before the altar, preparing himself for his initiation by prayer and meditation. Today was his final day of service to the Knights Templar. Today, Michael would give his friend the finest gift in his power. Today, Amory would become a knight, The brothers chanted the traditional prayers as Michael invested Omri with a white belt and golden spurs, and instructed him in his duties. Then came the final and most important part of the ceremony, the dubbing. Omri knelt. Michael touched the unadorned Templar sword to Omri's right shoulder, saying, "'This is to remind you of the oaths you give and receive,' He raised the sword, then struck Omri's left shoulder lightly. This is to remind you of your obligations to use this sword to protect the helpless, serve justice, and to fight the enemies of God. I will remember, Omri said, as Michael sheathed the sword and handed it to Sergeant Brother Philip. The candles glowed no brighter than the joy that radiated from Omri's face. Michael's superiors in Paris had not been entirely pleased at Michael's proposal to give Amory a suit of mail and weapons from the order's store of offerings. In a flurry of correspondence during the gray winter months, Michael had insisted that the rule granted him the right to bestow items of his choice on a friend of the house. Moreover, Amory deserved them for taking up those responsibilities that Michael's injuries prevented him from fulfilling, in the end, Michael's will and persistence had prevailed. Be thou a good knight, rise, Sir Amory. Michael said, his voice ringing with pride. Amory came to his feet smoothly. Brother Philip buckled the scabbard and sword to the narrow belt. Then it was time for the final part of the knighting ceremony. Facing Amory. Michael spoke the formula of the colee: Let my blow remind thee that a knight's estate brings pain as well as honor. Amory braced himself, and Michael struck him hard on the side of the head. In remembrance of him who made you and ordained you knight. Amory staggered, grinning widely, and the other Templars raised a loud cheer in his honor. "'Thank you, Brother Michael,' he said, clasping Michael's forearm. "'You've done more for me than I ever expected. "'I will miss you, Amory. "'You have been my right arm and my shield. "'I know that you will do honor to your spurs.' "'I shall try,' Amory replied seriously. "'Then he added with a mischievous grin, "'I've been your right leg, too. "'And my nursemaid long enough.' "'It's time you were a free man, Sir Amory. "'I do like the sound of that. "'If only little Blanche could hear it, "'wouldn't she be impressed. "'Now, if I had a horse.' Amory sighed grandly, "'and they moved away from the altar, "'amid many congratulatory backslaps. "'They took their places among the other brothers, "'assembled in the chapel, "'as the matins' service began.' Thinking of his niece so far away, Michael almost forgot to impart the next bit of information. Just before Chaplain Brother Richards began the service, Michael whispered, Oh, Matilda has prepared a special celebration dinner for you this noontide, along with a last surprise. Omri clasped his hand over his heart. God bless her. She's a saint. Do you think she'll share any more recipes? Michael laughed, but his spirit was heavy as the service began. After attending the Dawn Easter Mass at St. Martin's, Cecilia walked briskly back to the Rosenhuis, her fur-lined cloak drawn tightly around her, and Turgot following a pace or two behind. Ice-clouded puddles, "'crunched under the wooden clogs that protected their thin leather slippers from the muddy street. "'The pale morning sunlight was not yet strong enough to melt white hazed frost, "'glittering on rooftops, and the bare branches of garden fruit trees. "'But the swelling willow buds gave a promise of another spring, "'perhaps with a promise of a bonus to the workmen,' the repairs to the long-uninhabited Chateau de Chancy might be completed in the next week. Fausta de la Rose would be relieved to see her go, Cecilia thought, with a wry smile. It was one thing to belong to a family that acknowledged living deities, and quite another to host one for an entire winter. As she approached the house, Cecilia saw Joseph awaiting her on the doorstep. With the Rosenhuis's Flemish butler, Bertrand, both men looked anxious and waved as soon as they caught sight of her. Cecilia quickened her step. What could have happened in her brief absence? She scanned the gray stone facade of the Rosenhuis. No signs of fire or armed struggle. My lady, said Joseph tremulously as she arrived at the house, it's Lord Dominic. Hideous possibilities flashed through her mind as Turgot gasped. "'What has happened?' she demanded, automatically opening her link to him. "'Another shock. He was here!' "'Nothing, nothing,' Joseph said, blinking rapidly. "'It's just he arrived without his horse. "'He said it collapsed several leagues outside the city, "'and he had to walk the rest of the way, overnight.' But we had no word of his coming. Did you know? In the periphery of Cecilia's vision, Turgot made an odd movement, almost a flinch. Cecilia turned and saw that her maid's olive complexion had turned to ivory. Turgot's stricken glance met Cecilia's for an instant, then skittered away. The treacherous little fool! Cecilia felt a sick lurch. "'He refuses all refreshment, my lady,' added Bertrand, "'clearly avoiding blame for inadequate hospitality.' "'Joseph frowned. "'I worry that he carries bad news.' "'Cecilia cursed both Turget and Dominic silently "'and hastened to reassure Joseph. "'I think not. "'I believe he is merely eager to investigate something I found.' "'She could not say more in the presence of the butler.' but instead made the sign for upkalu in the house's sign language. Looking relieved, Joseph followed her and Bertrand inside the house. Both of them left her alone to enter the parlor, where a smoky peat fire waged valiant battle against the damp chill as Dominic paced with halting steps. Dominic, she said coolly, Turgot, creeping along in Cecilia's wake, mumbled, "'I'll rouse the cook, lady,' and fled. Cecilia, she touched his mind briefly, gaining an impression of great weariness, and under that, resentment and anger, his pale skin was stained with exhaustion and travel grime, the lines of his face deep-cut. "'Come upstairs to my chamber,' she said. "'You look half-dead.' Four days from Venice I flew the entire distance, and he was proud of himself. She did not speak again until they had climbed the stairs to the privacy of her chamber, and then he forestalled her. As soon as she closed the door, he demanded, Where is Michael? I want to see him. He was like a clay jar containing Greek fire, Cecilia thought. "'liable to explode and rain fiery destruction everywhere. "'And yet he was wholly alive in a way "'that she had not seen him since Bizier. "'Michael is nearby,' she said, "'donning tranquility like a coat of mail. "'But you need refreshment and sleep first. "'Sleep be damned, I need to see him now,' he rasped. Turget entered the room.' "'carrying a tray with one goblet "'and large jugs each of blood, broth, and milk. "'She set the tray on the table and bowed gracefully. "'Welcome to Ypres, Lord Dominic. "'I beg you to accept the hospitality of this house "'before you collapse and alarm Master Joseph and his wife.' "'She filled a goblet and handed it to him, "'making sure to keep a cautious distance from Cecilia.' Dominic's mouth quirked at her bossy demeanor, but he took a grudging sip that quickly turned into a gulp. Turget promptly refilled his goblet, and he drank that off as well. In short order, he finished the blood, the milk, and most of the beef broth. The terrifying gray transparency that overlaid his features began to subside. Sated at last, Dominic handed back the goblet then sank down with a groan on the linen chest that stood at the foot of Cecilia's bed. Cecilia sat next to him, thigh to thigh, though the layers of linen, silk, and wool separating them. She wrinkled her nose. You need a bath. Not before I see him. Michael is currently celebrating Easter services at the Templar Preceptory outside the walls. "'but later today he'll have dinner at his sister's house here in the city. "'You won't be able to see him for at least six hours.' "'Cecilia turned to her maid. "'Turgit, arrange a bath.' "'The girl jumped. "'Yes, lady.' "'She bobbed her head with unaccustomed meekness. "'Cecilia added sharply, "'And I'll have words with you later. "'By then perhaps her temper would be cooler. "'At this moment... "'she wanted the girl's back laid open with a whip "'for interfering with her careful plans. "'In a few hours,' thought Cecilia, "'she might be able to control herself enough "'to administer a beating that would leave no scars. "'When Turgot had withdrawn, "'Cecilia swallowed her anger "'and put a conciliatory hand on Dominic's arm. "'I have already taken steps to win his trust "'and that of his sister.' But we must act carefully. We must convince him that his place is with us. And how do you propose we accomplish this? I'll go see him, talk to him. Dominic fairly quivered with suppressed passion. Cecilia closed her eyes, heartsick. The old Menelos would have devised his strategy after cool analysis of the situation. The last time you tried that, he ran from you. Now he's the preceptor of the Templars. He has nowhere to run. He'll fight you. Dominic leapt from the bench and began pacing again. What if you seduced him? As a woman, I am barred from meeting with him unless his chaperones are also in attendance. And he holds to his celibacy. Not for lack of trying on the part of this town's ladies. She folded her hands in her lap. Like Honoria, Michael is very strong-minded. I've been trying to find a subtler way to gain his favor. We could just take him for a private conversation. And do what? Open the gates of his memory without his consent? You know what that might do to him, unprepared as he is. And if he refuses us? Cecilia shuddered. The law is the law. Dominic waited though each minute of the morning crept by like an hour. Finally, just before noon, Cecilia led him to the door of Matilda's neighbor, Katrin Mergelnik. Cecilia knocked. When the porter answered, she informed him that she wished to call upon his mistress. The old man left them standing impatiently in the tiled hall. Cecilia said, mind to mind, Catherine loves receiving visitors, especially when her husband is away on business. Dominic barely registered Cecilia's words. Soon, he thought. What would Michael look like at 30? Would he welcome Dominic or hate him? What should Dominic say to him? His racing thoughts were interrupted when Catherine, appeared. All smiles and bustling hospitality. She was young, a typical blonde and pink Fleming. "'dressed in sober wool and spotless linen. "'Welcome, welcome, Lady Cecilia. "'This is an unexpected honor.' "'Happy Easter, Frau Mergelnick. responded Cecilia. "'I wanted to introduce my brother, Dominic de Bergama, "'who has just arrived from Venice.' "'What a long journey that must have been, my lord!' exclaimed Catrin. "'It was shorter than you might think.' "'replied Dominic briskly. "'Catrin's face fell a little, "'but she brightened at Cecilia's smile. "'Please come upstairs. "'My parlor is much warmer. "'Can I offer you some hot wine?' "'Dominic climbed narrow stairs "'that smelled of roasting lamb and cinnamon pastries, "'following the two women "'and wondering why Cecilia had brought him here. "'Then he understood. "'The parlor overlooked the street.' directly across from Matilda's house. He settled himself on the cushioned window seat and waited impatiently for the refreshments to arrive. As soon as the maidservant closed the parlor door behind her, Cecilia reached out with her aura and sent Catrin into a deep sleep. Dominic flung open the window, looking eagerly down the length of the street below, It seemed like centuries before Matilda's dinner guests arrived. There were six men. Four of them were wearing dark Templar habits, one in a white mantle, and the last in secular clothing. Dominic recognized Michael's tall, golden-bearded form. A second later, he invoked his seer's eyes and saw the proof. Michael's bright wings eclipsed the feeble auras of the ordinary mortals around him. Dominic tensed, gripping the window frame, how he wanted to fly down to greet Michael and carry him away. The timber and plaster houses, lining the street, echoed with the sounds of laughter and jesting. "'Tell us true, Sir Omory,' said one of the brown-robed Templars to his secular companion, who was clean-shaven and wearing a yellow tunic with a dark blue mantle. "'Now that you're a free man,' What are you going to do first? Sir Omri grinned. I'm going to grab the first pretty woman I see and kiss her. Everyone laughed, and then Matilda opened her door. Dominic saw that she, too, possessed the bright aura of an upkalu, but it was tarnished with the blotches of disease. Nenharsag, may we meet again, came Cecilia's thought. And here she is, brothers, Omri cried seizing Michael's sister and giving her lips a hearty bus. Matilda gave a surprised shriek. Laughing, she pushed Amory away. For that, you bold seducer, I have a special revenge. A groom emerged from a nearby alley and led a splendid chestnut destrier towards the men. Amory's jaw dropped when the groom handed him the reins. Congratulations on your spurs, Sir Omri. This horse Matilda's voice dissolved into rough coughing. Dominic felt how the sound tore at Cecilia's heart. But his entire attention was on Michael, leaning quietly on his crutch. Matilda continued, This horse, for all you've done for my brother and for our family, I want to give. Madame Matilda, Omri choked. He cast an awed glance at the tall Ardenay gelding. "'Treat him well, Sir Amory, "'and he will bear you to the ends of the earth,' Michael said, "'though I hope you will not go so far. "'Brother Michael, Madame Matilda, thank you, thank you!' Michael made a fending-off gesture. "'A hundred times you've thanked me already. "'You earned your spurs by your faithful service. "'No more thanking, I beg you!' The other Templars laughed. "'Brothers, please come in for dinner,' Matilda said. "'Sir Amory, I promise that your horse will be waiting for you when you're finished.' Amory left off stroking his new mount's nose and handed the reins reluctantly back to the groom. But he looked longingly over his shoulder as he walked away. "'You'll be riding out in the morning, then?' Michael asked as they entered the house." The door closed, and the only sound in the street was the jingling of the gelding's harness as the groom led him back to the stables. Dominic turned to Cecilia, feeling as joyful as sunlight on snow. All these years I had hoped, but I had not really expected. Cecilia, we must convince him. Cecilia placed her hands over his. We shall try. Now come away and get some sleep. Templar Preceptory Ypres, Duchy of Flanders, Monday, May third, A.D., 1260 The weeks that followed Amory's departure were lonely for Michael. Bare-branched April ripened into a mild May, and he frequently found himself staring out the open window of his office, breathing the fragrance of pink-blossomed fruit trees then guiltily he would force his attention back to the stacks of requisitions authorizations accounts and correspondence that awaited his decisions he wondered how amory was faring with his sweetheart and blanche with her betrothed were they well happy perhaps because it was spring or because amory had left for the love of a woman Michael found himself increasingly tormented by unchaste thoughts. Celibacy, of all his vows, had been the easiest to keep because the chronic pain in his leg dampened desire. But now, with his pain easing, he began to notice soft curves under brightly colored gowns, tendrils of hair peeking out from headdresses, the white skin of cheek and throat. He was particularly disturbed by Lady Cecilia, who, despite her move to Chateau du Chancy, frequently accompanied his sister to Mass, and stayed afterward for dinner. Michael would find himself laughing at a riddle game played over wine and wafers, then meeting Cecilia's gaze with an odd jolt in the pit of his stomach. He could not stop thinking about her. The scent of her sandalwood perfume haunted him, as did the vision of her red mouth. At Mass just yesterday, he had been inundated with the desire to taste her lips. Although he hurried to pray forgiveness for his sinful thoughts, he could not banish her image from his mind. Neither prayer nor fasting nor harsh penance freed him from his torture. Now captive at his desk, with birds singing outside his window, Michael's head drooped forward, and his eyes grew heavy. She stands in the cathedral, close enough to touch, her face an alabaster glow in the twilight. The scent of sandalwood surrounds him like incense. She places her slender hand upon his arm with an enchanting smile. She speaks. He sees her ripe mouth moving, her delicate pink tongue licking those full lips. Helpless, he watches as she releases the ties of her gown and removes her wimple. Stripped to her shift, she faces him, with her unbound hair falling in inky waves to her knees. He bends his head to kiss her, to feast on her mouth like a starving man. He tangles his fingers in her hair, excited by its softness and the musk that rises from her skin. She sighs as she draws him closer. Her cool fingers brush the back of his neck, and he wants only to tear their garments away and unite with her. Sinking down, he urges her legs apart and enters her. She moans and clings to him, her fingers digging into his shoulders. Michael woke, nearly toppling off his stool. He was sweating and trembling in the aftermath of an unexpected climax, blinking at the late afternoon sunlight, washing the disordered stacks of parchment with pale gold. He glanced around guiltily, wondering if any of the brothers had noticed his sinful dreaming. But no one came to bother him, except some inquisitive bees from the garden, Ashamed of his weakness, Michael picked up his quill and began to write, repeating paternosters in his head, but both prayers and work were unsuccessful at driving the vivid carnal dream from his mind. Chateau du Duchancy When will he be ready to accept our invitation? Dominic asked yet again as he paced back and forth next to Cecilia's bed, They officially had separate chambers in the Chateau du Chancy to keep up the guise of being brother and sister. Why is it taking so long? Cecilia sighed and stared at the bed hangings. I mislike invading his thoughts. It's exhausting. He resists my every suggestion. Dominic's mouth turned downward in displeasure. Then we must do something else. What does he want? What does he need? Let us find a lever to move him. She rolled over, hiding her face in the pillow. You do have something. What is it? Dominic leaned over the bed and stroked her hair. Tell me, he wheedled. She hated that tone in his voice, the obsession in his eyes. I brought with me. His skilled fingers traced their way down the sensitive skin of her throat. She shivered with pleasure, then continued. Cherubet met Roland's brother in Acre and identified him as Utu who was. He refused consent and was too old besides, so she gave orders that he should be followed and protected. He sailed from Acre last year, but died of fever in Cyprus. The kin there sent his possessions to me. I have the letter Roland wrote to Matilda. She swallowed as Dominic's hands moved lower, then sighed in frustration as he pushed himself abruptly away. It was far too risky for him to kill someone here, but how she wished. Dominic grunted thoughtfully and resumed his pacing. Were you ever going to mention this to me? I didn't know about Matilda. And as for Michael, should I have given you false hope? He must be nearly thirty now. And even if he does consent, he may not survive transformation. He disregarded her warning. So if Robert died before delivering the letters, does the family know about Roland? Matilda prays for the repose of Roland's soul every Sunday. And I believe Roland's supposed death is the reason Michael joined the Templars. He blames you. Dominic shrugged. Where are the letters now? I want to read them. "'Ah, gods who never were! "'This was getting worse and worse. "'In my jewel casket!' Dominic found the box and broke it open, "'disdaining the key. "'He pulled out the packet of letters "'and seated himself to read them. "'Yes,' he said at last, "'this may work. "'He jumped up to pace again. "'Now, when can we deliver? "'Damn! "'We'll have to wait until Sunday Mass. "'I hate this waiting,' he said stalking back and forth like a lion in a cage. St. Martin's Church, Ypres, Duchy of Flanders, Sunday, May 9th, A.D., 1260. The scent of sandalwood coiled like a serpent beneath the hymns and sermon. Michael gritted his teeth and resolutely faced the front of the church, but he could see Cecilia's gold-embroidered sleeve out of the corner of his eye, She knelt alongside Matilda, their heads bowed in identical attitudes of prayer. In his dream last night, Cecilia had also been kneeling, but in the very opposite of prayer, her fingers had been cool against his heated flesh and her mouth. Michael stifled a groan and focused on the priest's Latin phrases, willing the holy words to drive away the terrible weakness of his flesh. He did not blame Cecilia for his plight. It was his own carnal nature that made him take her delicate flirtation as a challenge to his vows. The prayer ended, and Michael staggered to his feet. His leg, stiffer than usual, twinged fiercely. He missed Blanche's quick, unobtrusive hand under his elbow. The priest read from the Gospels Beloved, each good gift and every best favor comes from above, comes down from the Father of the lights of the sky, who has never known change, who is never shadowed over, so strip away everything filthy, every vicious excess. Humbly welcome the revelation that has struck its roots into you, that has the power to save your souls. Oh, God, how he wanted to save his soul. A draft stirred and sent another coil of Cecilia's perfume to snare his thoughts. Cecilia bided her time. After the priest droned the final blessing, she turned to Matilda and Michael I was late this morning because a courier arrived, bringing sad tidings. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Matilda said, putting a hand on Cecilia's arm. Cecilia bowed her head. It's not my grief, I'm regret to say. I received word that your cousin, Sir Robert D'Agincourt, departed this life last year. How did he die? Michael asked. Matilda crossed herself. Poor Cousin Robert. Do Aunt Blanche and Uncle Ulrich, his parents, know yet? He was struck down by a fever while traveling home on a ship owned by the House of the Rose, Cecilia said, keeping her link open to Dominic. The letters he carried were sent here. Matilda, one of the letters is addressed to you. She motioned to Turgot who instantly broke off her animated conversation with one of the handsome young Vandermusen sons and came over. In the aftermath of Cecilia's calculated punishment at Eastertide, Turgot had been punctilious in her duties and considerably less impudent. Detaching a small package of oiled parchment from her girdle, Turgot offered it to Michael with a curtsey. As Michael accepted it, he felt Turgut smoothly slide a folded note into his sleeve. Michael raised his eyebrows in surprise, but she returned his glance with bland innocence and backed away. Matilda had not noticed the by-play. Why would Robert have left a letter for me? He was so good to Roland and me while we were in Egypt and afterward, when I first joined the order. Michael lifted the packet into a beam of sunshine coming from the high windows of the choir. This is very fine handwriting. Shall I open it and read it for you, Maddy? Yes, please. Matilda moved slightly to stand with her brother in the shaft of light. Michael took his belt knife and severed the ribbons fastening the packet. The unbroken wax seal bore the impression of a stylized many-petaled rose, and broke in brittle fragments. He unfolded the oiled parchment, and a string of blue faience beads slid out. With a start, he recognized them, and remembered how angry he had been with Roland for buying them. Wondering how they had come to be sent to Matilda, Michael caught them around his wrist. He opened several closely lettered pages, and began to read out loud. To the most noble Lady Matilda, the subtle application of rouge showed starkly artificial against Matilda's bloodless cheeks. I thought you said that Roland was dead. Abdalwarda, Michael's heart was racing. Slave of the rose, he translated, watching Cecilia's face for a reaction. Her expression was politely interested, but no more. "'Does she know about Sir Dominic?' he wondered. "'Not for the first time.' "'We never found his body, Tildy,' he said gently. "'Sir Dominic captured him. "'Didn't he, Lady Cecilia?' "'Captured him, leaving only his surcoat behind. "'He closed his eyes in a spasm of pain and regret. "'Please, what does the rest of the letter say?' "'Matilda begged, not giving Cecilia the opportunity to answer.' She held out her hand for the packet, and Michael gave it to her. "'Mine own dear sovereign lady,' Matilda continued in a quavering voice, "'I recommend me unto you and send you God's blessing and mine. My brother Robert has brought me tidings of the family after these many years spent in service to a noble Saracen lady.' Her voice cracked. I can't believe it! He's alive! Praise God! But before she could read any more, she broke into hysterical weeping. Cecilia and Michael towed Matilda to a nearby bench and made her sit. Cecilia passed her a clean handkerchief and tried to soothe her while keeping one eye on Michael. She saw the play of emotions crossing his face as he avidly read the closely written pages he had snatched back from Matilda's hands. All the while he fingered the blue beads as if he recognized them. When he came to the end of the letter, he carefully refolded the pages and bowed in Cecilia's direction. "'I thank you for this gift, my lady,' he said a little hoarsely. "'It is good to know that my cousin lives and thrives.' Trust Roland to have found himself a Saracen princess. His sister smiled as she dried the last of her tears. Roland, oh, do you think I could write him in return? Allow me to offer the services of the couriers of my house, Cecilia said. That will be the fastest way to correspond with your cousin. Thank you. On impulse, Matilda leaned forward and kissed Cecilia's cheek. You have been so good to us. Startled and discomfited by this impulsive display of affection, Cecilia gave a gracious nod, collected Turgot, and took her leave. Enough meddling for one day. Back at Matilda's house, Michael sat with his sister and sergeant brother Philip. In the parlor, as she read the letter again, when she was done, he offered his arm to help her rise and the stiff crinkle of parchment inside his sleeve reminded him of the note Turgot had slipped him. Had Cecilia somehow sensed his shameful lust for her to suddenly act so boldly, he knew himself for a sinner, so he contained his curiosity as he and brother Philip followed Matilda to the house's great chamber for Sunday dinner. Matilda, her cheeks flushed and eyes bright with joy, enjoyed the excellent roast capon, and spiced croquettes of fish with a hearty appetite. By contrast, Michael scarcely ate a bite. His initial joy had burnt down to a vast relief that he had not been responsible for Roland's death after all. And then jealousy set in. Was his cousin truly as happy as his letter had represented him? During all the years of his penance among the Templars, Roland had been living in luxury, experiencing adventures that Michael had only dreamed of. Roland, wealthy, honored, and apostate, living in a house of reputed sorcerers. Michael had a disconcertingly vivid flash of Mansura, and his cousin in a turban and Saracen robes standing over the bloodied corpse of a knight. A throbbing headache seized him, nearly blinding in its intensity. Michael drained several cups of spiced and sugared wine in an attempt to deaden the pain, and forced himself to pay attention to Matilda's chatter as she debated what tidbits of news to include in her letter to Roland. The servants brought out a course of stewed, eel, and a salad of fresh greens with sugared violets, but Michael could only push a small portion around on his trencher while his headache wielded mace and mallet inside his skull. Finally, it was time to return to the preceptory for knowns. The cool breeze of the summer afternoon cleared his head, and the headache began to recede. It was past sunset when Michael finally found the privacy to light a candle in his office and read Cecilia's note. The expensive paper had been perfumed with sandalwood, and the faint scent made his pulse pound. "'Brother Michael, I recommend me unto you,' and etc. "'As you have heard by now, your kinsman, Sir Roland D'Egancourt, has taken service with the House of the Rose.' I wish to meet with you privately, and soon, regarding a related matter. By my own hand, Cecilia le Byzantine. He was deeply disappointed. He had thought her so noble, generous, and true. Yet here was proof of her duplicity. She knew that a private meeting would be a violation of his vows, and the ruin of his career. He had been the recipient of too many missives just like this one to fall for her ruse. Related matters indeed. Did she take him for a fool? Well, maybe she did. And maybe he was. Look at him, mooning over Roland's death for almost ten years, while his cousin enjoyed wealth, travels, and a beautiful mistress. Michael clutched his head. Envy and sorrow and gladness and confusion roiled through him. He was glad Roland was alive, but his cousin's supposed death had been the beginning of his own life with the Templars. Now the foundations of that life proved rotten and crumbling. Parchment crackled under his elbow, another requisition for men and equipment for the endless struggle in the Holy Land. Sometimes it seemed he pushed men and horses into a bottomless maw, which never gave anything back save it was mangled. And every year, the reason for all the effort slipped further away. Could Christians ever recapture Jerusalem again? What difference did doing his duty make? His hand crushed Cecilia's note. The scent of sandalwood ignited his sinful lust. Yes, he wanted Cecilia. He wanted to go to her and sin and forget the wasteland of his life for one sweet hour. But when that hour was done, he would be stripped of his honor, his rank, of the very clothes on his back, forced to eat his meals with the dogs on the floor, for there would be no concealing his crime. He could not sin and lie about it, As a Templar, he was sworn never to speak a falsehood. If he had never joined the Templars, he could have gone to her, swived her, and worried only about the sin of fornication. But if he were not a Templar, what would he be? A landless cripple in his father's hall, or dead long since in Egypt or elsewhere? His life as a Templar had meaning even if it wasn't always as exciting or interesting as the life that Sir Dominic had once promised him. He was old enough now to understand the truth of the order's promise to him. Much pain and suffering for the glory of God, he had given his word and must keep it to be true to himself. Taking up the crumpled scrap of note, Michael smoothed it out and scrawled across it. Lady, you know I cannot. Blessings of the Holy Virgin Mother be upon you. He signed the note with his initials and sealed it. Calling one of the sergeant brothers, he instructed that the note be sent to the Chateau du Chancy by a lay courier. No need to throw into temptation's way any of the brothers whose souls were in his keeping. Even after the courier departed, the scent of sandalwood lingered but he was resolute, he had made his decision long ago, and he would live with the consequences.